Hi, welcome back to the As You Are podcast. Okay, we are on part two of our new series. Let's talk about it. This is the second half of the interview with Brooks Vaughn that we first posted last week. And oh my gosh, y'all, this is so helpful. I was like taking notes. If you haven't listened to part one yet, go back and do that. But if you have, this week is so amazing. I can't wait for you to hear. Okay, here's just a quick refresher. Last week we talked about hormones and what they are. We've always heard them in the context of like, you know, getting pregnant or whatever, but Brooks was so helpful explaining how they really impact every single aspect of our bodies. And so then we talked about some healthy habits that are really practical and easy to add to our daily lives to help naturally balance our hormones. So if you didn't listen to that, you need to run back over to part one and listen to it. But Brooks also shared some really, really helpful Bible verses to help combat like body image struggles and stuff like that, that I thought were very, very helpful to kind of shift our mindset towards ourselves. And at the end of last week, we started talking about what it looks like to invite safe friends into our struggles with all of these different things. And so that should get you pretty caught up. So here's part two of the interview. Yeah, I think it's so good to like what you're saying, invite your friends, like your your closest, safest people into that conversation that you're having with yourself. Cause there are so many different reasons why all of us as women struggle with body image and how we feel in our own skin. Like literally mm-hmm. so many different things could be at the root of that. And mm-hmm. like anything from how we grew up to just literally wanting to take care of our body and not knowing that right balance of like how much to eat and what things to eat, or it could be, and I see this a lot, um, in college, a lot of girls deal with a lot more stress than they've ever felt. And that like high level of stress or like just the constant, maybe it's not extreme stress, but constant, like a low level stress that's just existing in your life for college. I've seen that sometimes cause girls to feel like they don't have time to eat or they don't have an appetite or like they just, it's affecting their body and everything about them. And so I love the, um, the pointer about friends, because I think that that can help across the board. Like it helps with body image, being able to share that it helps with stress, being able to share that. Mm -hmm. But are there any from a medical standpoint and from a lifestyle standpoint, what are some tips to manage stress when more stress factors get added to your life? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great question because I mean, from a medical scientific standpoint, when you are stressed, I mean, this is what's so interesting. Our body, there was a book um, that came out years ago by a Christian physician. I don't even know his name, but it's, it was the title of it is your body keeps score. Oh yeah. And so yeah. Have you heard of it? Yes. So it's very, you know, they use the concept of like a bucket. We all have bucket capacities. And if, if say you have a bucket that doesn't have like a drain at the bottom and you're just filling that bucket and filling that bucket with stressors and stressors and more responsibility and pressure, eventually that bucket's going to overflow. And, and kind of our bodies are like that. We can all handle so much and we all have different capacities, but once, you know, over time, eventually our bodies do keep score and we start to become 
symptomatic in other ways. And so just from a scientific medical standpoint, when we perceive stress, um, again, our brain sends a signal to our adrenal glands to produce cortisol, which is our stress hormone. And we need a little bit, right? Like, you know, you, everybody needs a little stress, a little anxiety to motivate you. Like you, you kind of need to know like, Hey, if you don't study for that test, you, you might not pass it. And then you might, yeah, you, know, you need a little bit of that to motivate us to get us going. And we, but it's when it takes control of us and when it's in control of us and we're not in control of it is when, when that's a problem. Um, but when we, when our bodies produce cortisol, um, especially if we're in a high state of stress a lot and consistently over time, um, then what can happen is if we're producing high levels of cortisol, I don't know if you remember back when I said the adrenal glands also produce a, a hormone called DHEA, which is a precursor to estrogen and testosterone. What can happen is if we're under a high state of stress and we're producing cortisol, then we're not making DHEA. And a lot of times it, it actually can prevent, can cause a disruption in our female sex hormones. And so that's sometimes how periods can go away. Um, a lot of times I'll see like during finals week, girls will miss their period because they're so stressed if they were due for their period that week, you know? Um, and so yes, like there are things in college, especially that you just, I mean, you can't get rid of those stressors of tests and things like that. So I usually say, um, practical things that you can do that I find can be super helpful. Um, number one, it's finding even just five to 10 minutes to breathe, get outside, get your feet on the grass, take some deep breaths, pray, look up to the sky. That sounds silly, but it actually has been shown to make a huge difference in our stress levels. Another thing that is, that is really interesting to me that we're looking at you know, with cortisol is vitamin C has been shown to actually help lower cortisol levels and when they're too high and raise them when they're too low. So I usually recommend, you know, again, this isn't like an end all be all, but it can help taking a vitamin C supplement um, or drinking, you know, eating plenty of citrus fruits rich in vitamin C. Um, also, there are some, you know, there are other supplements that I will recommend to my patients, ashwagandha being one of them that has been shown to help. Yep. That is my favorite one. Actually, I told my whole Bible study that last year. I was like, y'all. Yes. They said they were stressed. I was like, I was on the fence about whether I was going to try anxiety medicine. Yeah. And I actually do take a really low dose of anxiety yep. medicine now. Absolutely. But when I'm having stress at a higher level, I'll take ashwagandha yeah. and it helps so much. Yep. It really can make such a difference. Mm -hmm. Ashwagandha is great. Vitamin C is great. Magnesium is great. Um, magnesium glycinate is really good at helping, helping you with sleep and with mood and anxiety. Um, and then at the same time, I find that if I have patients where your body is keeping score and you're like, okay, I'm not in control of this. This is controlling me. That's when it's time to sit down and have a conversation um, and look at 
and I will say I'm a big proponent of starting with your healthcare provider because sometimes there can be some underlying things that can really kind of fill your bucket to the point of you're at capacity aside from stressors, like if there's an, uh, an autoimmune disorder, a thyroid disorder, a hormonal issue, a B12, vitamin D, iron deficiency, like a lot of things under the surface from a health standpoint can actually, and from a hormonal standpoint, can actually make our propensity towards anxiety and stress and depression much greater than what we may, you know, see with other people. So I always say, start with your healthcare provider and look to see if there's something under the surface. Um, and then at that point, talk about, you know, because, and I agree, I think medication, there is a time and a place for medicine that is very healthy because what we don't want is we don't want you going months and months and months at a high level state of stress or a high level state of a depression and anxiety and you're not doing anything about it. And what can happen is just from a scientific standpoint, our brain forms these little like when we have a stressful, you know, when we have a stress response or we have an anxious thought, it's, you know, it's kind of like a little sad road, like in our brain, our neuropathways. But when we go months and months and months depressed or anxious, that little sad road becomes like a freeway. And so it makes our brains a lot more and our chemical firings a lot more prone to anxiety and a lot more prone to stress and depression. And and so that's where medicine kind of nips that in the bud so that we can start to rewire those pathways. And so I always say there's never there's no shame in going on medicine if it's deemed necessary and because, you know, I had somebody tell me once, they were like, well, I just feel like that's a crutch. And I was like, well, think about a crutch. If you broke your leg, you really, you don't need to walk on that, on that leg. Like you need a crutch while you heal because it's just going to get worse and worse. And it's going to be harder to heal. If you walk on that leg without the crutch, that crutch is actually purposeful. It's not a, it's not a bandaid that's just like masking something. And in, in a lot of cases, it actually is beneficial because we're help and 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 then aside from that you know doing the work underneath the surface whether that be from a hormonal health standpoint from a counseling standpoint I'm a huge fan of counseling um you know and so yeah that's all that was a a lot of stuff right there but those are kind of some of the main things I would say looking at your lifestyle supplementation talking to your healthcare provider um, and just diving underneath the surface, counseling, and then medication too can be all That's so good. That's so, so helpful. I feel like those are really practical ways and like a, a scale, like as you sense yourself getting more and more stressed more often, like you can start to address it on a more serious level. So I hope that anyone listening doesn't feel alone because I just, I want to say that yeah. I haven't talked to anybody who says they don't have stress and anxiety in their life. So absolutely not alone with that, but there is, there have been some side effects. I feel like of first of all, stress and anxiety, but also some post effects of COVID where I've seen a lot of people having their hair fall out and like things like that. And then obviously stress and anxiety can cause 
breakouts in yeah. your skin. And so just a really quick side note, do you have any, um, or how do you recommend tackling new breakouts um, from hormones or stress and brittle hair or hair loss? Yeah, that's a big one. I see that all the time too. I'm seeing it a lot more now. I mean, so much more now post COVID. And a lot of that I think is, you know, stress and anxiety related. We, we are seeing, I mean, at this point, COVID has pretty much gone through the entire population. People have had it. Um, and other things like we're, we're not as immune to things as we used to be because we were, you know, in quarantine for a while. And so people are catching all kinds of things and that kind of stress on our immune system actually can cause other things. So if someone's having hair loss, brittle hair, um, thinning hair, acne, I usually start with looking underneath the surface with blood work first because that is oftentimes a sign that there might be something else going on. Yes, stress. Yes, those things that we talked about to mitigate stress, to mitigate cortisol. But sometimes that can be kind of a symptom of a thyroid disorder or an autoimmune flare-up um, like of a thyroid disorder. That can sometimes indicate that something's going on hormonally, like testosterone levels being a little elevated. Um, so testing those levels first really gives you a better idea of, okay, what's going on and how can we treat this? Um, and then the treatment can vary based on what your blood work shows. You know, So like, for instance, with a thyroid disorder, if we see that the thyroid is underactive, then there are definitely things just from supporting your thyroid. And this is, these are things any, anybody can do. Everybody can do to support your thyroid, but building on the things that we already talked about, vitamin D is huge for thyroid and immune support and stress and emotions and all the things. And I see vitamin D deficiency all the time. We don't get enough vitamin D typically in the fall and winter months from sunlight and we don't make it. It's very hard to get vitamin D in our diet. And so you really, your skin synthesizes vitamin D from sunlight or taking it through supplementation. So I usually do recommend a lot of my patients take a vitamin D supplement in the fall and winter months. That really has been shown to help support thyroid too. Um, and obviously a number of other things. <laughs> Uh, mood is a huge one. It, it impacts stress and mood so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then also, so for, from a thyroid standpoint, we know that selenium and iodine and zinc are really important. Um, and, and so selenium, one easy way to support your thyroid with selenium is to eat a Brazil nut a day. They sell it at Costco and what? Trader Joe's and Target. <laughs> yes. Two, one to two Brazil nuts a day gives you all the selenium that you need. What? And that is huge for thyroid support. Yes. We'll um, have to have that at our worship night. Yes. Pops and Brazil <laughs> nuts. Yeah, I just have a big bag from Costco. And every night I just I just eat. Two, I look like consider it my supplement, my thyroid, one of my thyroid supplements because I just eat two Brazil nuts. Um, so iodine is interesting. So that's where we know that the primarily in other countries, thyroid issues are related to iodine deficiency. And we see that more in our country now because a lot of us aren't eating iodized 
salt. Like mm-hmm. we're using sea salt and, and things like yeah. that. So um, it, that's a little tricky because sometimes in women who have a different type of thyroid disorder, we don't want to treat with iodine. But in general, um, y- like using like a mineral salt that may have some iodine in it can be good. Um, eating seafood can be great. Um, you know, this sounds nasty to a lot of people, but the seaweed chips that you can get at like Trader Joe's can be good. Um, those are just kind of simple ways to support the thyroid and then medication. And a lot of times is necessary for thyroid support. If that's, if that's what we pinpoint, um, if testosterone levels are high, then we work to lower those. Um, and there are supplements. Zinc is one of them that can be very good. Um, there's a supplement called myo inositol that can be really helpful. Um, you know, I'm giving y'all a million things to throw out there. I've taken that one. Um, myo inositol. I need to get back on it actually. (laughs) Yep. It's a good one. Um, Berberine can sometimes be really good for balancing blood sugar. But again, that's where I really like to sit down with people and be like, yeah, okay, here, let's, let's make it sustainable because throw in a million things out there. I do have patients who come to me and they're on 35 supplements and I'm like, okay, this is too much for your liver and your kidneys. We need to, we need to tailor this. So that's why I do think, you know, from a medical standpoint, if you are noticing hair loss, thinning hair, dry hair, brittle nails, acne, that's when I would say see your healthcare provider and, and ask for blood work. This is a really probably stupid question, but, um, you know, whenever I feel a cold coming on, mm-hmm. I will take airborne or like yeah. one of mm-hmm. those basically like vitamin C, zinc, and it has yeah. maybe other things too. I know that has a lot of sugar in it. So maybe there's other options that are better for daily, but is something like that a good option for getting more vitamin C and zinc in your diet? Yeah. I mean, it definitely can be for sure. And and you're right. The sugar component of like from every day is where I always say we have to be careful. Um, vitamin C, they do make capsules that don't have any added sugar in them. Same with zinc. They make, you know, but also, um, you know, I mean, I will say a lot of times with both of those, if you're doing like citrus fruit, fresh squeezed orange juice, lemon in your water, um, zinc is one that I definitely, if you're feeling sick or if we are, we know that there's a targeted issue, then yes, I will put people on a zinc supplement. I don't do that blindly though. I usually say, you know, we kind of want to make sure that we're careful with it. But a lot of times the, the dosage that I'll put patients on um, is 15 milligrams of zinc daily for a few months to see if we notice a difference. Um, but, and, and like, I know this sounds weird, but seafood, I mean, oysters, um, salmon, fish, those can be great ways to get them too. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Another thing we see a lot, um, with girls and honestly with myself is bloating and like, mm-hmm. I, I've been told in the past, like, bloating can be caused by stress, obviously, like, when you're about to start your period, um, and it can be painful and honestly embarrassing, like, it's the worst, and half the time, people are like, it's all, like, you can see it, I can't see it, but my Everett says that all the time, he's like, I don't know what you're talking about, I'm like, my stomach's out to here, I look pregnant, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but what are the main causes of bloating? Um, and is like it related to any type of hormone imbalance? Are there practical ways we can help reduce bloating? Just, I don't know. I think that that is a very helpful question. Because yeah, it's like a- those things where you're like, it's easy to just brush off and be like, well, I'm just bloated. Like, but yeah. it's not fun. It sucks to be bloated. So like, I hear it all the time. Yeah. And I feel it all the time. Yes. I hate bloating. I get it. I'm yes, I totally understand. And it's so frustrating. And it there are a number of causes of bloating. I mean, it can be constipation or slowed gut motility. It can be fluid retention. Um, like we're just holding on to too much water. It can be inflammation of the gut. It can be caused by, um, yes, like right before our period, what happens is we get a big drop in hormones and we also produce a a pain sensor called prostaglandins that can actually increase inflammation that can cause bloating. Oh, and protein deficiency, um, Mm -hmm. can cause bloating. So, One of the first things I typically do with my patients who are consistently bloated is I say, okay, let's maybe try a few things. We try to increase protein if they're not getting enough protein because protein, a lot of times, and this happened to me a lot in college because I was mostly eating just fruits and vegetables and not enough protein. And I was blown. I'd look 20 weeks pregnant, you know, and I'm like, what in the world? I'm eating so healthy. Why am I so bloated? And that's what I hear a lot is I eat so healthy. Why am I so bloated? And a lot of times that's a few things from a nutrition standpoint. A lot of times when you eat very healthy, those foods are very fibrous and they're gas producing. And so, um, Sometimes I will say maybe cut back on broccoli and roughage just for a little bit and like eat your vegetables cooked, eat your fruit cooked, just to see if that will kind of cut down. Broccoli, Brussels sprouts and kale and cauliflower tend to be some of the most gas producing for a lot of people. And they're so healthy and they're so good. But, you know, cutting back on those a little bit can be good. Um, and increasing your protein intake mm-hmm. can be really beneficial as well. Um, and then from a nutrition standpoint, too, electrolytes play a big role in our body retaining water or actually like sucking fluid back into our vessels, into our system and, and helping us excrete it. And so regular salt, for instance, like if you know how you feel if you eat a really like if you go eat takeout and you're eating you know, processed salt, you can feel very bloated the next day. I know I do. Like if I go, I love, I remember in in college, especially we would go to Roussons all the time and I would feel so bloated the next day and puffy. And it's because that type of salt causes you to retain more fluid. So ways to kind of combat that would be to drink or eat electrolytes, which actually are basically help pull out fluid from your body and help you excrete it. So sodium, potassium, magnesium are some of the big ones. Um, and I usually tell patients, you know, a, a mixture, I call it an adrenal cocktail. Y'all may have heard of this, but it's just basically where you, you load up on vitamin C, potassium, and sodium. And so it's like fresh squeeze orange or grapefruit, coconut water, which has a ton of potassium and a mineral salt. I love, there's one called Redmond's Real Salt um, that has like a lot of trace minerals in it. 
Um, Celtic salt, sea salt, any kind of salt like that can be really good because it actually helps bind to um, potassium and other things and helps you kind of excrete and helps with bloating. And so I usually say load up on electrolytes and see if that will help and eliminate some other gas producing foods for a couple of weeks and see like I love dairy, but it can be very gas producing for a lot of women. Um, you know, so from a nutrition standpoint, those are kind of three things that I like to try electrolytes, protein, limiting some gas producing foods and see if that helps. Hormonally, what's really interesting is progesterone is a natural diuretic when it is in its rightful like form. It actually can help us excrete fluid. So a lot of people who are having a consistent normal monthly cycle will actually feel the least bloated middle of the month when they've ovulated. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's because of progesterone. Now, in pregnancy, we have really high rates of progesterone and it can cause a ton of bloating. And sometimes I will see that with hormonal birth control, too. Sometimes it's just the type of progesterone and the type of estrogen can actually um, increase bloating a little bit in some women. But in women who are not ovulating, so if a woman, if if a female has lost her period, say she's not on any kind of hormones, anything. And she's just not having a period. She's not ovulating, um, most likely. And she's not producing progesterone because you don't produce progesterone unless you ovulate. And so that is one of the number one things I see is like, we're just, we're we're not producing progesterone. And if you have a little bit of estrogen, sometimes estrogen can slow gut motility and cause you to be more constipated. Um, And so in general, hormones are something that I do say are important to look at. Um, Antibiotic use is another one that can really kind of tear up our gut and cause more bloating. I would say if you've been on antibiotic and, you know, especially post-COVID, I I would say 98% of my patients have been on antibiotic at some point in the last two to three years. So we really work to try to heal the gut with probiotics with fiber, healthy fruits and veggies, obviously, and protein, you know, that can play a big role in eliminating bloating. And then too, sometimes there are some structural things that can increase bloating. Um, An ovarian cyst, um, endometriosis. Yeah. So sometimes an ultrasound is necessary if it's, you know, to take a look to see what's going on structurally, if there's anything that we think might be, especially if somebody's having some discomfort and pain, um, a lot of times taking a peek to see, is there something structural going on? Is this not just a GI slash fluid shift issue? Mm. Gosh, that's so interesting. Um, I do have a question about hormonal birth control and um, PCOS and endometriosis, but really quick, do you have a probiotic that you like? I do. I really do. I love, um, one of my favorites is Mary Ruth's cause you can just get hers yeah. online. Um, I love Mary Ruth. She's got a good probiotic. And then there's a company called Claire K L A I R E labs. Um, and they have a really good probiotic. Now there is, so the, the two strains, if you've been on an antibiotic that has been studied, let me just confirm this because there are very long names. Actually, um, I think it's one is lactobacillus rhamnosus. 
Um, which is a really weird, and I can send this to you and you can put it in the show notes. Um, yes, it's lactobacillus rhamnosus is, is one of the main ones that you need if you've been on, um, an antibiotic. It's one of the ones that has been studied that helps heal the gut the most. Um, and I believe Claire Labs. Culturel, I think, has lactobacillus rhamnosus as as well. But um, Claire Labs is probably one of my favorite probiotics. It's spelled K L A I R E, um, okay. and it's just a a potent one that's very very good. Yeah, I've actually been on two rounds of antibiotics in the past m- month and a half because yeah. I have like a root canal issue. Yeah. Oh, well, oh, yeah, maybe I should take that. You know, here's the thing. Antibiotics are necessary in so many instances, especially if you have a root canal issue. Like, you do not want to get septic. You do not. I mean, they save yeah. our lives. So there are cases when you need an antibiotic. Um, and so really just, yes, taking a good probiotic, eating probiotic-rich foods, um, like fermented foods, pickles, mm-hmm. sauerkraut, um, kefir, yogurt. Um, those sorts of things can be really helpful. Fiber helps feed the probiotics. So I say, you know, eating foods that are rich in fiber, fruits and veggies um, can be really good. And I love kombucha. Yes. It's so good. It's for you too. I know. Um, I okay. Well, I just can't even tell you how helpful this has been. We have one more question. And I think this really relates to everybody um, and is something that I really I saw you talk about it a little bit on your Instagram and I wanted to zoom in on this for everyone. But when I was in high school, actually, they diagnosed me with PCOS, which Mm -hmm. for anybody who doesn't know, that's polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I've seen a lot more people getting diagnosed with that recently. And it has all different types of symptoms. I feel like it's sort of like a catch all, but I've been dealing with PCOS for my most of my life. And then Mm -hmm. I got diagnosed with endometriosis, like probably six years ago. Mm -hmm. So I've been dealing with both. And because of that, I've been on birth control for a lot of my life. But at first they told me that the reason why they put me on birth control is to regulate my periods. Mm -hmm. And I saw something that you posted that was like, birth control does not regulate your periods. And I would love for you to kind of explain to everybody what you were saying about that. Yes. Great question. Um, Let me say this first. So birth control doesn't regulate your periods, but in women with PCOS and with endometriosis, it can be therapeutic. Yeah. And there's a difference. So birth control, what it does, birth control pills, and the the main ones that are out there available have two different types of, well, really three different types of birth control pills, but two different hormones. So what most women are on, um, the type of birth control pill is, is a combined birth control pill with estrogen and progestin. Um, and it actually suppresses ovulation. So that's how it works as birth control. It prevents you from releasing an egg and then it prevents that egg from fertilizing. Um, And so in general, what it does is when it shuts down ovulation, it also keeps the lining of your uterus thin. 
So if you're not on birth control and you're having a regular monthly period in a, in a normal healthy cycle, cycle day one is the first day of active bleeding. That's your period when your period starts. And that's the shedding of your uterine lining. That lining sheds and then it slowly builds back up. And simultaneously, your brain is sending hormone signals to the ovaries to mature a follicle, which is basically a little baby immature egg. Um, And then midway through the cycle, that follicle is mature and the brain sends another hormone signal called LH to the ovaries to release that egg and that's ovulation. And then when you ovulate, now your ovary from that opened follicle, it forms something called a corpus luteum, which basically it means yellow body. If we looked at it under, you know, a microscope, it would look like a little yellow, almost like a cyst on the ovary that we see after you've ovulated. And that corpus luteum produces progesterone. And so Mid-cycle, when you ovulate, you're, you start producing progesterone. You still produce a little bit of estrogen. And the uterine lining is, is just getting nice and plush and thick. And, and it does that because a fertilized egg, say when that egg is released, if it's fertilized and you get pregnant, that fertilized egg needs a blood supply. And so it's almost like a tick. I, I use that term. It's like a tick. A tick kind of needs to bury itself into something to get a blood supply so it can live and grow. That's how a fertilized egg is. That's how um, when we get pregnant, that fertilized egg implants into the uterine lining, and then it a baby grows and develops. Um, but if if you don't get pregnant... Your brain signals, okay, we're not pregnant, drop those hormone levels, and then that signals to the uterine lining to shed again. So you have a big decline in hormone levels, and then the lining that was once thick is now shedding, and that's a period. So birth control pills, especially the ones that have estrogen and progesterone, shut off that cycle. So you don't ovulate, and your uterine lining stays thin. And so if you're taking it where you take the same color or it may change colors each week and then at the end you either don't take anything for a few days or you have like a sugar pill week, placebo, um, that's when women will get their period. But what that really is is a withdrawal bleed because you're giving yourself hormone and then you take it away. Those hormones kind of are just keeping the uterine lining stable And then you take the hormone away and it causes a bleed, but it's not a true shedding of that lining. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, so that's why in a lot of women who have heavy, painful periods, they're put on birth control and they may still, and some women have a period, but it's a lot lighter. So that's very technical, but it doesn't, it doesn't regulate that hormone cycle. You're basically shutting off what your body was doing and just getting a withdrawal bleed. Um, and so in women who are not having a regular cycle, I always say, we want to get to the root cause of that first. We don't want to just give you a birth control pill if you're having irregular periods because we're not addressing what could be going on. And then, and then, you know, with patients who have PCOS, if PCOS is reached, if that is the diagnosis, which we want to reach that diagnosis first before we just put you on birth control, um, we know that in a woman who has PCOS, they may not be having a regular cycle, but they are at risk for that uterine lining to to thicken. Mm-hmm. Um, and so birth control can protect them 
from that lining thickening. And it also can bind to testosterone and help lower testosterone in the system and help with symptoms of elevated testosterone like acne, facial hair, chest hair, things like that. So it can be therapeutic in women with PCOS. In women who have a condition called hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is what I see a lot of times. And a lot of times people are misdiagnosed with PCOS and they actually have HPA, which is interesting. But the the recommendation for hypothalamic amenorrhea is actually not birth control pills um, unless a woman needs birth control for birth control. And so um, we try to work to actually restore that ovulatory cycle versus shut it down with birth control. So I'm not against birth control pills. I think they can be very beneficial in a lot of people, but they're just, it's always worth a conversation, you know, to figure out, is this the right thing for me? What is the root cause of my hormonal issues? And how can I, you know, work to combat these and, and either cure them or support my body the best way that I know how. Yeah. And I love connecting it to what we've been talking about this whole time, because when I was first diagnosed and then put on birth control, which I'm very glad that I'm on birth control because it also Mm -hmm. helps my endometriosis symptoms. Yes. Yes, absolutely. There's a lot of pain that comes with endometriosis. And when you're on birth control, it can make it a lot less. But when I saw it as a treatment for regulating my periods, I didn't feel the need to understand why, like what was happening with me. And so I love hearing everything that you've said about like, if you're missing a period, there could be an underlying, or there is an underlying issue that you can get to the root of that has to do with your overall health. It's not just about like getting pregnant or not. It's like your whole body health. That's what I wish. All connected. (laughs) Yeah. All connected. I always say your period is your fifth battle sign. Mm -hmm. It is an indicator of, you know, is there something going on underneath the surface that we need to dive into or are things like they should be? It, It can tell us so much about our bodies and yeah, it can point to a thyroid disorder. It can point to a nutrient deficiency. It can point to a hormonal imbalance. Um, and all of those things need to be addressed. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This has been so incredibly helpful. I can't wait for everyone to hear all this stuff. Cannot thank you enough for your time. Yes. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it so much. I could talk about this all day, every day. (laughs) Honestly, I could too. I can't wait to come see you. I'm I'm going to go see Brooke soon. Yes. I would love, I am in Watkinsville downtown, um, but also see patients virtually. So do a lot of, I can, I can't, um, order blood work and prescribe out of state. But I do see a lot of like college students who, um, you know, don't live in Georgia and we just do, we work on a coaching basis, like just to kind of figure out what some of the best options for them are where they are. Yeah, that's so cool. That's something that I would have really, really loved to have in college. And so I just yeah. love the idea that something's not wrong with you. We're just getting to the root of you know, your whole body health. So absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you so much. This has been eye opening and so helpful in so many ways. We're so grateful. Well, thank y'all for having me. I enjoyed it. And I'm going to come to the the worship night in September. I really love it. Good. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. Bye.
Bye. Bye.